When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Isn't it fascinating that we're so enthralled by drama? Like you probably clicked on this video because you're invested in hearing this dramatic and traumatic event that happened to me. But isn't that so funny that it's much more interesting than if I were to tell like a really heartfelt, heartwarming story? Like why are we as humans so much more drawn to that? I don't know, but I'm a sucker for it too. Wait, you've got to be kidding me. Let's get this untwisted. I'm so darn nervous to tell this story. I wanted to make this a YouTube video. Oh, I kind of forgot to do my intro. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Don't Get It Twisted. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. As I was saying, I've been wanting to tell this story for a really long time. I've never done a story time. I've never done something like that on my channel, but it's always been something that's really fascinated me. Reese, you know what? I tried to give you a toy. I tried to give you something that was going to distract you. and Instead, you go for my protein bar. No, thank you. But I've always wanted to do story times like that, but I just don't think, one, I have that many dramatic experiences in my life to share. Two, I never want anything to come off as rude or like me trying to seek attention or me trying to stir the pot or like start drama. That's just so not me. I don't know how to do confrontation. I don't know like the first thing about giving a story time. But then I was thinking like I have this really, really freaking interesting story that I have been wanting to share for such a long time. And I feel like I just feel a little bit more safe doing it in a podcast. Maybe it's because you can't see my face. So maybe the fear level of these people coming after me has decreased a little bit. But either way, I am still petrified. Please know that as we are about to dive in. But I want to share what I can now say is an extremely funny story time about the time Keith and I were almost scammed out of all of our money and pretty much were recruited to become a part of a pyramid scheme. And it wasn't like an MLM or something like that. It was kind of a little bit more of like a career binding all in sort of scheme. And you know, sometimes like you'll come across MLMs maybe on Instagram or or Facebook Messenger and maybe they're fitness related or it's hair care or it's skin care. And you know, you might get those messages all the darn time. And sometimes it's it's easy to avoid those if you're not interested. You know, you can unfollow the person, you could block them, you could mute them. Most of the time it's a lot easier to get out of if you're simply not interested in participating. But when it happens in person, <laughs> it's a lot more sneaky. It's a lot more scary. And a lot harder to avoid. But um, let me start from the beginning on the time that Keith and I were recruited to become a part of literally God knows what. Like to this day, I could not tell you what it was. And that's probably the biggest sign of them all. The year is 2018. It is the first week of May. And Keith and I are in college and we're just finishing out our school year at Gonzaga University, which is located in Spokane, Washington. And every single year, the first week in May, Spokane hosts this really big race. It's I think maybe a 12K. It's something really long and it's a race called Bloomsday. Basically the Bloomsday race, I'm just going to say it's a 12K that basically winds through the entire city. And it kind of feels like 
the race involves the whole city itself too. Like everybody kind of comes together. It feels like the entire town is shut down for this race. And Spokane's actually pretty unique in that it's kind of a lot more of a country feel, even though it's technically designated as a city. It's actually the second biggest city in Washington, which is surprising. But if you've ever been there, you'll know exactly what I mean. But the city isn't much of a city. It's kind of more of this like country-esque town. So this race goes through the entire quote-unquote city. And it's this huge thing where everybody gets involved and whether you're running the race or you're just maybe a local business that's passing out water bottles or, or jello shots. Yes, that does happen too. Or maybe you're just somebody in the community that wants to cheer on all of the bloomies on the sidelines. Bloomies is the nickname for the people that run the race. So it's kind of this big deal. And Keith and I decided, even at the very beginning of our college experience, that we were going to run the race every single year. So it kind of became this fun tradition of ours. So this is our second or third time running the race. And we start the race probably around like eight or so in the morning. And we run the race. We have the best time ever. Like, honestly, I cannot stress enough how fun this race is. It's just it's just the best. Like, it's the most exhilarating race I've ever run. It just puts you in such a good mood. And after the race is over, you finish down by the waterfront. And there's all these vendors with food and booths and activities. And there's usually a band playing. And you just kind of hang out there for a while. Everything about the race is just fun from beginning to end. Because it's such a big deal. But because it is such a big deal, the whole dang city is there. Especially down by the waterfront. There are so many booths. There are so many different food vendors. But even Even so, the lines for everything are so crazy long and it's just super crowded and super, super busy regardless. So we just finished running this race and we're like, you know what? We are starving. We just ran this big old 12K. Our bellies are completely empty. We don't really want to wait in line for hours just to get food. So let's hop in the car and we can drive somewhere a little ways down the road and maybe we can actually get some food in a reasonable amount of time and hopefully it will be a lot less crowded. So we walk back over to our apartment, we get in the car, we drive over to this cool little breakfast spot that we had been wanting to try. And of course, lo and behold, even a little bit of ways down the road, it is still crowded. And granted, it is still Bloomsday. It is a beautiful Sunday in the month of May. The sun is shining in Spokane when we are normally dealing with like absolutely terrible weather. So of course this breakfast spot is still going to be crazy busy. Like what were we really thinking? And I'm almost positive that the restaurant that we chose to go to was even doing like some sort of a Bloomies promotion. Like buy one, get one half off for all Bloomies. Like something, you know, very enticing. So naturally there are going to be other Bloomies there at the restaurant. So if I've painted any picture in your head at this point, just imagine, you know, everywhere we're going, crowded, crowded, crowded. The most crowded it could ever be. So we walk into the restaurant. They tell us it's going to be probably like a 30 minute wait. And we're like, okay, whatever. We'll just, you know, sit in the little lobby area and wait for our table. Which kind of funny, like even telling this story just makes me so reminiscent you know on the times when we would wait for tables at crowded restaurants we'd be around swarms of people crowded 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 good times so we're just sitting in the waiting area and I'm almost positive I didn't have my phone on me and I'm not even sure if Keith had his phone on him either because mind you we had just come from this race we didn't technically really need technology especially if we were running the race together and I hate running with my phone so I had just left it behind because I just didn't really need it so you know normally when you're sitting waiting for your table at a restaurant you might be just kind of sitting there scrolling through your phone or you're surfing the web like but we were just kind of like awkwardly sitting 
sitting there in this stuffy little waiting area, you know, with those like super uncomfortable couches. And it's filled with these cranky and hangry people who just want their name to be called. And it's truly just, you know, a little hell on earth. Come to think of it, I don't actually really miss any of that at all. But in this moment, it was our current reality. We were just sitting and waiting and minding our own business. And we are sitting next to this one really large family. And I remember thinking, huh, you know, kind of cute. There was lots of parents and, and kids around. I was like, yeah, cute. And sitting right next to us, there was this mom and a dad who are our main characters. We'll call them Mike and Rosie. God, I actually hope that's not their real names. Like, I actually totally forget what their names are. But uh, anyways, Mike and Rosie. And then Mike and Rosie had two little kids, I think a boy and a girl. And it kind of looked like they were also with, you know, extended family. So maybe one other couple, maybe that couple's kids, perhaps even the grandparents. It was the whole shebang. And they look over at us, Mike and Rosie, and they look at Keith and I and they go, gosh, you know, you two are just a really good looking couple. And I'm telling you this for the context of the story, okay? I'm not trying to say this is a true statement, but this is literally what this random woman, Rosie, is saying to Keith and I. And, you know, we're like, oh, uh, thank you so much. You know, just like super awkward, like not knowing how to accept this random compliment. But we're just like, oh, you know, thank, thank you so much. Like, what else are we going to say? And I just sort of thought it was one of those like, you know, accept the compliment, say thank you and move on sort of situations. But no, she just kind of kept poking in and she said, you know, you two, you just look like you are filled with potential. The fact that you have gotten up so early on a Sunday morning and you ran this race, which mind you, everybody runs this fucking race. It's not that impressive of a thing. But she just kind of like kept poking in and we are literally sitting here, mind you, like in our nasty, sweaty racing clothes. Like we didn't have the time or the energy to go back home and change or shower before we had come out to this breakfast spot because we just wanted to try and grab a quick bite to eat. So we are sitting here just gross and messy and like disheveled as ever. And she's sitting there going like, the fact that you did this is so amazing. What was our line of work and like what kind of things do you do? And she's just... Very, very curious about our lives. And you know, we we are polite people. We can engage in conversation. We are very cordial, as you might be with, you know, any random woman inquiring about your life story in the cramped waiting area of a breakfast restaurant. And we're just kind of thinking to ourselves, like, wow, like this is really interesting, especially that this woman wants to talk to these two smelly teenagers who just ran a 12K. <laughs> and granted, like these people are very kind and very warm, but it's kind of just mainly Rosie who's who's trying to strike up the conversation. Mike was, you know, kind of here and there with the kids, but you know, we didn't really suspect anything of her just wanting to talk with us. And at some point in the conversation, she kind of starts to shift the point of the convo back to herself. And as a listener of this story, of this uh, twisty pod, if I may, you can probably sit here and, you know, recognize, yep, that's what a pyramid schemer would do. Or even maybe like a good salesman. Like I was in sales. I can talk about this. Like they kind of butter you up, you know, as a way to try to reel you in. And and truly you're getting people to talk about themselves because let's face it, that's everybody's favorite thing to do. So that's exactly what she was doing. She was just sitting there gassing us up. And then she slowly starts integrating these parts of her into the story, things that she did to make herself successful, you know, kind of tying it back into our potential, but she's the one that's successful. And to be honest, a lot of the details are sort of lost on me at this point, like exactly what she 
was even doing or how she became successful. Even in the moment, I don't remember caring all that much because honestly, it started to smell pretty fishy to me. Like it got pretty stinky in there. And truly, all those little details are not that important to the story. But anyways, she basically starts telling us that her family is the most important thing to her in the world. And I'm I'm really lucky because I'm retiring this year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm retiring and I'm so proud of the fact that I am able to retire. And she was young, admittedly. I would bet she was 27, 28. But she just kind of kept going on and on and on about her damn ability to retire and how one year ago she would not have been able to do this. But look at her now. She's retiring, baby. And you know, you two would be really great at what we do. And... I need to make this very clear before I even move on with the story. I am not, to this day, sure of what these people do. They would talk in such big circles that I would lose focus so many times. I could not tell you what line of work they were in. I couldn't tell you any details about the pyramid scheme. I think that's actually part of the marketing or recruiting that they try to do. Like they leave out the major detail of what it is, probably on purpose, but as probably some way to maybe like lure you in. But they just wanted to keep talking about money. They wanted to talk about how much they made. They wanted to talk about the watches they had, the kind of cars they drove, which we would later find out was a Toyota Prius. And no hate to the Toyota Prius because I love the Toyota Prius. But someone who was sitting here bragging to strangers about their luxurious and rich lifestyle does not normally brag about their Toyota Prius from my experience. But they never once mentioned what the fuck the pyramid scheme was. And uh, to be honest, this was the first alarm, the first freaking alarm. So after just kind of, you know, making conversation for a little bit or her trying to recruit us, Rosie eventually asks Keith for his phone number. And she says, you know, it's it's really busy here. I would love to be able to to meet up with you two over coffee and just chat. And I just I just see so much potential in you. I would love to continue this conversation. And it wasn't like she was just politely asking for his phone number. And it wasn't like she was hitting on him either. Don't get this twisted. But I just remember she was being really, really pushy. Like pushy to the point where you had no other option. Almost like, here is my phone. Please put your number in it right now and also pull out your phone and let me look over your shoulder as you pull open your calendar to show me what days that you're available for coffee so we can meet on that specific day. Like it was so uncomfortable that I almost had no other option than to say, yes, like of course we can meet at this date at this time. She didn't really leave us any opportunity to say no. We were pretty much being cornered into saying yes. Because she was so invasive about it. Which I suppose is, you know, sales scheme number two. And you know, we could have seen this as probably like stranger danger. But nothing in the moment really seemed that alarming. Like we didn't really see much harm in that. It was really weird, mind you. But at the same time, like we were just sort of like dumb kids who didn't really know exactly what to do when a random woman has such a strange conversation with you and essentially forces you to commit to a coffee date. It was odd, of course, but it didn't feel alarming. So Keith eventually gives Rosie his phone number, and I think shortly after their name was called by the hostess, because in case you forgot, we were still waiting to be sat down for breakfast, and then they went over to their booth, and we eventually got our name called too. And Keith and I were just kind of bantering over breakfast, like, gosh, this is, you know, sort of weird, but... They seem so nice and I guess I'd be interested in going to coffee. Like, what's the harm? Like, 
They seemed like they were super successful and happy. We didn't really think too much of it. They almost left us with that like warm, fuzzy feeling where we felt so hyped up about this endless potential that Rosie had just constantly reiterated to us for what I don't know. But it felt like we couldn't just abandon these people who were just giving us so much love and attention. So flash forward to the day of the coffee date. And we had scheduled to meet at like 5 p.m. And I remember it was just such an odd time to schedule to meet up for coffee. And this was the summer that I was working four jobs. If you listen to my last episode, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But I was just super busy, 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 meetings, meetings, meetings. I just remember thinking like I was going to have to rush over to meet these people with Keith, like right after I was let off of work when my shift was finished. And Rosie texts us a few hours before and she's like, we can't wait to meet you. We will be at the coffee shop at 5 p.m. Like, can't wait to see you. And we're like, awesome. Yes. Okay, cool. And this coffee shop was a little out of the ways. Like I would say probably a good 30 minutes outside of downtown Spokane, which if you know Spokane, that's a that's a long 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm just like laughing thinking back of this whole story because when this was all happening in real time, I was scared shitless. I was scared out of my mind that Keith and I were going to get kidnapped. I thought we were going to get robbed. I thought they were going to come for my identity. And maybe they still will. I don't know. But like it kind of went from this like, okay, random woman talking to us at a breakfast restaurant to what the heck are we doing? Why are we meeting these random people for coffee at 5 p.m.? (sighs) But anyways... Keith picks me up from work and we drive down to this random coffee shop that is apparently still open. And Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thriving at 5 p.m. And thankfully, you know, you meet in a public place when you're meeting up with what we didn't know were our soon-to-be schemers. And it was safe. Like, sure, I was here out of my mind, but that was just, you know, my typical anxiety and paranoia acting up. Honestly, it was nothing out of the ordinary, but for me, I was just typically uncomfortable so we get to the coffee shop we walk in and we kind of see like a few different seating areas it's a lot bigger than your normal coffee shop it almost had like different levels to it with lots of different places to sit so we walk in and we don't really see them initially because this place is huge and we start kind of like bobbing our heads around like left and right you know like when you're trying to look for a friend you don't really know where they are you're just kind of poking around the restaurant but not really moving and we notice this little nook that's around the corner from the front door and we kind of poke our heads through the entryway of the nook to see if we could try and find them and we see them but they're already sitting down, kind of with their backs turned to where we were standing. Um, and they're with two other people already. And I was kind of like, huh, well, um, that's sort of weird. Um, interesting, I guess. Maybe they already had friends here. Maybe this is about to be like a fucking group meeting. Maybe we are meeting like the pyramid schemer, like the head of the schemes. I had absolutely no idea, but I was, again, nervous. We kind of start to mosey our way over there and Mike and Rosie make eye contact with us. 
But Rosie, like, very startledly gets up. And she's like, oh, like, hi, like, good to see you all. But, like, let's just walk over here really quickly. Almost like we couldn't be involved in whatever was going on, like, in that other conversation. And in retrospect, I can now acknowledge that they were talking to another naive couple, such as Keith and me. They were literally setting up their little con meetings back to back. And we walked in on them. I mean, the nerve. Like, alarm bell, two, three, four, five, whatever. I can't even keep track at this point. So many freaking alarms going off, ring, ding, ding. So Rosie, like, leads us out of the nook area, you know, like, very rushed. And she takes us to the cash register. And she's like, do you guys want to get a coffee or, like, a little treat on me? Like, it's so good to have you all here. And, you know, she's sweet talking as per her usual. But not the same kind of chatty Kathy that she was at the breakfast spot. This time she's a little bit maybe more reserved. She's a lot shorter, a little bit more concise, even diabolical one might say. She's just acting a little bit different. Like her tone has definitely changed and it was very apparent. So Keith and I were like, oh sure, like that's so nice. Thank you so much. And we both order. I think we both got like chai lattes. Does it really matter? It doesn't, but thought I'd let you know what I ordered anyways. <laughs> so we we place our orders, our coffees, our lattes, whatever, and she kindly, I will admit, kindly purchases them for us. And then she just sort of leaves. Like she just kind of leaves us. She's like, I need to go wrap up things like really quickly over here, but you two just hang tight right here, okay? I'll, I'll come and get you when we're ready. And I was like, well, that's fucking weird because who invites you to a coffee shop And then says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't see you right now, even though, like, I'm here. Like, I get it. Like, she's a little diabolical mastermind. But in the moment, we didn't know that. Like, God forbid you have your back-to-back meetings interrupted. I get it. You're getting walked in on. But at the same time, like, we didn't know that we were walking into a pyramid scheme. So all's fair in love and war so we stand there for a while and we're just like horrifically awkward just kind of talking to one another like god this is so weird like what do we do what are they gonna talk to us about and mind you again still had absolutely no idea what the premise of this scheme i was trying to be conned into was i was just here because they had forced it onto our calendars and keith and i were just too nice to say no but we probably stood there waited by the cash register for i'd say at least 15 minutes and it's probably like 5 30 by now And finally, Mike and Rosie come over and they grab us and they bring us back to their little seating area and the little nook. And and this time, ladies and gentlemen, it's Mike's turn, baby. All right. Mike starts to take over the wheel. And Rosie's there, you know, but she's a lot more quiet, which I remember being a little bit odd considering her over-friendly demeanor when we first met. And I don't really know if this was, you know, like part one, part two, Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of deal where like one of them draws you in and then the other one like takes over the sales of said unknown scheme. I don't really know. But from that point on, Mike just kind of starts off his little spiel, you know, and we're sitting there and as the conversation progresses, it started to feel and I don't I don't want to say sexist but kind of started to feel along those lines because it felt like they only really wanted to ask Keith questions as if he was going to be the one living out this perfect narrative to its completion. And I was going to be the missus to his mister, you know? But they were just like really inquisitive about his major and his line of work, which is real estate. So I guess this may be, I don't know, like aligned more with their unidentified scheme more than my public relations degree. But... 
I digress. But I don't know. Like, this seemed to be a key factor for them. And they were just extremely interested in his real estateness. It was either that or they just couldn't give a fuck about me and PR, but whatever. I'll get off my soapbox. And the conversation is honestly making absolutely no sense. Like literally no sense whatsoever. And they were asking us like these weird questions that you almost couldn't say no to. Like asking us dumb questions to make themselves sound smarter and brighter. Like don't you just want to have a yacht one day? Don't you just want to have millions of dollars? And we're like, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that doesn't sound like sickeningly awful. Sure. Okay. What do you mean? But they just kind of like kept telling us like these really big stories. Again, all part of the scheme. But they would ask a question and they'd be like, so do you want to make money? Do you want to have fame and fortune and just work for the next few years and then you could retire? I mean, isn't that the dream? Isn't that the dream to retire early? You know, there was this one time I wanted to go on a trip and I I just never wanted to be bogged down by a boss. I never wanted to be anybody's employee. I wanted to be my own boss. And you know, there was this one time I was invited to go on a yacht and I wanted to own that yacht. And on this yacht, there was a farmer and I... I'm just sitting over here like, excuse me, like, do you hear what you're, what you're saying? Like, like, do you hear what I'm saying doesn't make any sense? Like, none of the statements that these people were saying ever had any conclusion. Like, they just kept leaping from one hyperbole to the next. But, like, this was their shtick. Like, this is what their goal was, I guess. Like, to make no logical points. I don't know. I mean, at the same time, like, you as an audience to their scheme are just kind of sitting there like well well, yeah like I guess I kind of want that like I want to travel I want to be my own boss and and sure I'll meet a farmer on a yacht like you get so fucking lured into these nonsensical stories and the entire time they are doing this so you miss the premise you are so interested in this dream lifestyle that they're painting you a picture of That you forget that they have not given you any objectives, any logical, strategic ideas. They haven't even told you the goal. They haven't said what the company is. They haven't told you absolutely anything. Not a fucking thing. Sorry, I just had to take a sip of my water there for a second. I was getting a little bit heated (laughs) in retrospect. And my palms are sweaty this entire time. Gross image, I know, but it's just the truth. And I start to get pretty nervous. I'm just pretty off-put by this whole situation to begin with. I'm also probably just a little bit hot and bothered that they couldn't give two shits about me sitting there. And it's only, you know, the Keith is the star kind of show. But (laughs) this conversation had dragged on for what felt like a full eternity, an entire century even. And eventually they say, you know, if you are interested, which, you know, we know that you are, we are going to help you get there. And we will do this by having a few different meetings set up with you that we would love to plan right now. So let's pull open your calendars and let's do this right in front of me. And Mike proceeds to do the exact same thing that Rosie did at the breakfast restaurant when she started to lean over your shoulder. And then you have no other option than to politely pull open your calendar and choose a day and time to meet for this fucking follow up meeting to talk about God knows knows what and then Mike is like well I really want you to be a little bit more prepared for the next meeting so you're gonna have to do a little bit of reading before you come and I just want you to be a little bit more prepared and he begins to assign us 
a chapter in this effing book like he's some goddamn professor but he's like you know what the book is in my car so you might just have to you know follow me out back so I can give you a copy of this book and this is where I'm like legitimately fucking the fuck out because I'm thinking we are about to get stabbed like this is the point in the story where my life comes to a conclusion I am stabbed by these con artists who haven't told me absolutely anything about why I'm even here (sighs) And we're just so uncomfortable. Like, we feel like we have no other choice but to follow this man to the back parking lot. The perfect location for our stabbing to take place. And we walk up to his Toyota Prius. Remember how he was bragging about his lavish lifestyle and all the nice cars he had? Again, no hate to the Prius. But that's just not exactly the usual car included in the repertoire of the rich and schemiest. And he whips out this book from his car, which was in fact a real life book and did not indicate any foreseeable signs of us getting stabbed. But even the book itself was just like a whole bunch of jibber jabber. It was almost like this weird self-help book that followed the same set of mindless circles that Rosie and Mike loved to talk in. Keith and I were just really freaked out at this point. We pretty much just said like, Arrivederci, mobbed the car. We were so confused to the point of exhaustion. Like we were just done. We had gotten out of that ish quickly. We had no idea what the heck had just happened. What sort of time lapse we had just entered in. I could not even identify like a single point of the conversation to even like reflect on. We were just so uncomfortable. We had no idea what had happened and We quickly realized at face value what was happening. We were being roped into some sort of ambiguous pyramid scheme and we wanted out. But now, of fucking course, we had this book of theirs, which I recognized too was like another way for us to commit to the next meeting because we literally had the book in our possession. Like if we didn't give the book back, we were stealing their book. So it kind of felt like this obligation, not even to read the book, even though we kind of felt intimidated to do so, but you had to follow up to go to the next meeting because you had the book and then you just kind of felt guilty if you didn't read the chapters. Like it was all based on guilt. And we didn't know what to do with this gosh darn book. Like neither of us wanted to read this. Like it was summertime also. Like I'm not going to open this random book. But we pretty much decided on the car ride home. Like we were done. We wanted out. We didn't know how we were going to get out. But we had no interest in progressing into whatever the heck this was about to be. And eventually I convinced Keith to um, go on his own to the follow-up meeting, which is a little bit shady and cowardly on my part, but I was scared shitless. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I have work and you need to go drop off this book. Like I just was making up all of the excuses and, you know, he was very kind and he basically walked into the next meeting, which was at like some random hotel and he found Mike sitting down with another customer at the scheduled time of our arrival like of our meeting and I'm pretty sure Keith just kind of like dropped off the book to Mike like very awkwardly kind of just said like I'm sorry like we're not interested and just pretty much booked it out the door so God bless him for doing that and he just kind of like got the heck out of there we got the heck out of the stressful situation I cannot stress enough how scared this whole encounter made me how stupid I felt to have fallen for such a glaringly evident scheme and the whole time I was just shitting bricks thinking of how we are going to get out of this and hopefully even after I tell the story like I won't get murdered but honestly for weeks afterwards after this whole thing had happened I was petrified because we had told these people 
where we went to school, what we majored in, where we lived even, like they had our phone numbers. I was spooked to say the least. And I thought this was going to be the end of the end of the end. I was not going to live to tell the tale. But alas, here I am sharing this horrifically embarrassing story. And honestly, it's like one of the funniest things to look back on. But shit, did I hate every minute of it when it was happening. But I do suppose that the moral of the story is don't ever, for any reason, do anything for anyone, for any reason, ever, no matter what, no matter where, or who, or who you're with, or where you're going, or or where you've been, ever, for any reason, whatsoever. I kind of wish I had more details to share about the story, but that's sort of just the end of that. And it was something that I can look back on so, so fondly and truly hope that um, I will never have to hear from Rosie and Mike again. If those are their real names, then this story is completely fictional and this has nothing to do with anything. So moving forward, you know, it's kind of crazy that I've already been doing don't get it twisted for a month now. Like this is what episode six. That's crazy to me. I can't even believe we've gotten this far or that you're still listening or maybe you're new to listening. I don't know, but I'm just really excited. I feel like it's been such a long time coming. I asked you all on Instagram. I hate that phrase. I hate saying that. I feel like the most typical YouTuber. I asked you all to ask me questions on Instagram. Like I don't want to be that person, but also that's exactly what I did. Because I always want to use the end period of this podcast to answer as many questions as I can from you all. And I figured because I wanted this story time to be a little bit of a surprise, I would just kind of answer literally any general questions that you have for me. A lot of my FAQs, if you will. So let's get the heck into it. Where do you get that motivation from? Because I can't even convince myself to work out even though I want to. Well, honestly, the thing is, is I barely ever have motivation. I try and think of it more as consistency because I know when I'm being consistent with myself, I'm going to see better results. I'm always going to be happier with myself in the end. I'm never going to regret getting up and working out. And also half the time, motivation is never there. Like even if you see a whole bunch of people on Instagram or YouTube or something always working out. I would say half the time they're not motivated either, but they're always going to be consistent and that's what's going to help them or you reach your goals. What is your most embarrassing gym fail? I don't know if I have like super embarrassing gym fails because I feel like especially when I was starting out like in the weight room, I was too nervous to do anything like too experimental because I didn't want to get made fun of. But when I was first like really getting into weightlifting, I would go to the gym at five or six in the morning and I would be at my school gym with ROTC because we would all use the same gym. And I was trying to do skull crushers, which is basically this move that you can do for your triceps when you're lying down on a bench and you have a barbell in your hands and you're kind of like bringing it, I guess, behind your head, if this is making sense. And I was doing it wrong. Like, I don't really remember what I was doing wrong, but apparently I was doing the move wrong. And I remember the ROTC coach like came over to me in like the middle of me doing the move and basically like moved my elbows together and like tried to help me with my form, which was so nice of him. Like I know some people are like, men shouldn't help out women in the gym. But like I was grateful because I don't know, maybe I could have hurt myself. But I remember thinking like, 
I was mortified that somebody noticed I was doing something so horribly that they came to intervene, like came over to help me out. But I guess that wasn't really that embarrassing. I was more like mortified that people would be making fun of me, I guess. And I'm sure, you know, there's been times when, I don't know, maybe I did something embarrassing and I just didn't notice. But, you know, at the same time, like people would just be making fun of other people to think better of themselves. And at the end of the day, I'm in there to better myself. And that is my only focus. And that should be your only focus too. So don't pick on other people, but also help them out if they're going to hurt themselves. How did you stay motivated while you waited for your channel to grow? I guess that was never like my sole objective. Like I never started making videos because I wanted my channel to grow. I wanted to make videos because I loved making them. And it took, you know, a little bit of time for my channel to, you know, even get noticed by anybody outside of like my family or friends. But I think it's important that you're doing it for yourself. And I always say like if you're doing this for fame, if you're doing this for views or for likes or you're just not in it for the right reasons, First of all, you're never going to stick with it. And second of all, people will always see right through that. So when it comes down to motivating yourself for each video, you have to remember what your passion is, why you were interested in making videos in the first place, and also like what can you do to diversify yourself? How can you make your channel stand out amongst so many channels that might be in a similar niche as you or even from the same age group as you? Like what will make you so unique that other people will want to watch or subscribe. Would you ever have YouTube as your only paying job? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, I would say possibly, like if that's something that has really worked well for me consistently, I think it's really scary to just all of a sudden like jump into this abyss of an irregular salary, especially when YouTube has such varying income levels. I think if things were consistent for like three to five months time minimum and things were, you know, progressing for you positively, then yes, I would definitely consider it. But I'm also just a huge believer in having multiple streams of income, especially when it comes to something like YouTube, because sometimes you just never really know what's going to happen. I don't know. I just kind of think it's like a smart way to live if you have the means or the ability to do that. Like even selling your clothes on Poshmark or Depop, which I've been trying to do lately, I just think it's a good way to have more security if you're able to do that. What's your love language? I always get embarrassed to talk about my love language. I don't know why. I just feel like it's not like the typical one. I'm almost positive mine is acts of service. Like I love all of them, obviously. Like who doesn't like quality time or words of affirmation? Like those are great things too. But I would say probably above all acts of service stands out to me the most. Did you have an awkward date with Keith or did you guys hit it off right away? You know, I don't think you'd get that mad at me talking about this, but... Keith and I definitely hit it off pretty well at first, not in like a bragging way or anything, but he sought me out. And I think at first I was just kind of like, oh, awesome. Like he's going to be a good, I don't want to say good friend because that'll totally insult him. But I just kind of was like, oh yeah, like, you know, good person to get to know, I guess. At first, when I first met Keith, he was very, very shy And he has since come out of his bubble, but he was just kind of always the person that, you know, stuck to his friends and was just not as 
extroverted as I am. So I was very nervous to like further any sort of relationship with him because I truly didn't know like if we were going to be compatible. Like this guy's so shy. Like he doesn't really talk that much around me. But very gradually, he got a lot more comfortable with me and he opened up. But honestly, now it's become like one of my favorite things about him because it's almost like this little precious gem of a personality that he only shares with some people. (laughs) This is a really good question. Is your bladder used to drinking a gallon of water and do you pee less than at the start? So something I probably never shared because, you know, it's probably just a little bit of TMI, but I've had a bad bladder my entire life. Like ask my parents, ask my sisters from day one. I was that kid that needed to pee constantly at every moment of the day. I would pee like two times before we would leave the house and then I would need to pee on the way to wherever we were going. I would pee on road trips, like on the side of the road in between like the passenger and the back door. Like I peed all the darn time. It was sort of annoying more than anything, but drinking a gallon of water has nowhere near helped my bladder problems. If anything, it's just elevated them. It's just kind of something I live with now. I don't really care that much. I mean, I'm only ever home anyways, so whatever. But if you are somebody that's increasing your water intake, I don't know if it gets better. I really don't. Probably, I'm assuming that you would get used to it over a long period of time, but for me, no, never. Never. Did you ever embarrass yourself in school? I mean, yeah, all the darn time. I would say like one of my most embarrassing memories was getting my period in school. Sorry for all my boy listeners, but also not sorry because it's so natural. But anyways, yeah, that happened to me during lunch. I think when I was a freshman in high school, something like I was so young and I was basically just like sitting at the lunch tables like, you know, you normally would. And one girl who I was not even like that close of friends with, but she was just a genuinely good person. Shout out to you, Lacey, because you saved me. She came up to me and she was like, hey, Tay, like, I think that um, you might have started your period or something. And I went to a school where we had to wear uniforms and I was in a like pinstriped red and white skirt, which basically looked like super light pink. And probably I had, you know, a cute little little red mark on the back and I was absolutely mortified. And I, of course, like quickly was able to like throw a crew neck around my waist and try and cover it up. And I had a small little group of friends that kindly escorted me to this area on campus where we could basically like exchange skirts kind of if the situation ever happened and I ended up getting this skirt that was like six sizes too big for me that I had to like continually like twist and turn all day long so it wouldn't fall down that would have been even worse but yeah I guess that's pretty darn embarrassing I was also in charge of all of our all school rallies on campus so I embarrassed myself on like quite a regular basis I would dress up in weird costumes and and was kind of just like used to doing that kind of lifestyle. Like I feel like all of my high school friends were just like, yeah, that's that's Taylor. She's dressed up as Iron Man today um, in front of the whole school. So there's that. Would you ever be a guest on a subscriber's podcast? What would you talk about? Of course, I would absolutely do that. If anybody wants me to be on their podcast, absolutely. Or if any of you want to be on my podcast, let me know too. Because sometimes it'd probably be more interesting to talk to somebody else than to Reese who isn't really listening to me or just the empty walls of my house. So yeah, hit me up. Did you have any embarrassing experiences when you were in cheer? Love you. I love you too. Oh my God. I have so many embarrassing cheer stories. I could do a full podcast about cheer, but I always think of like the more traumatic, like kind of scarier ones, I would say, because I was always just like so mortified of how 
bad I would be at times. I mean, I definitely spent a lot of time like trying to progress, trying to become a better cheerleader. But at the end of the day, like I just wasn't like top notch. There's technically six levels in cheer, but mainly there's just five. I would say I was about level three in tumbling, level four, you know, probably level five in stunting. But I remember before I started my high school career in cheerleading, which was a competitive cheerleading program, I had really bad habits that I pretty much had to unlearn because I didn't learn great form from my original all-star gym. And I remember when I tried out for my high school team, even thinking back, I have no idea how I made the team, if I'm being honest, you had to do a tumbling pass on the basketball court, which God, even just thinking about that now, like hurts every part of my body. But You had to do a tumbling pass on the basketball court. And I remember I was wearing a wrist brace at the time because I had hurt my wrist and I didn't want to hurt myself like even more when I was doing this tumbling pass on this hard wooden floor. So I wore it during the tryouts. I ended up like kind of slipping when I was doing a back handspring. And I remember one of the judges who was about to graduate and thankfully we never were on the same team together, but she laughed at me like outright, like snickered and laughed at me in the tryouts. And I remember being like, Oh my God, I cannot, I cannot believe that just happened. I can't believe she laughed at me. And I like, I knew it. I was like, I'm not getting on the team. Like this is awful. And then I ended up getting in. I perfected myself. I got better. I didn't have to wear the wrist brace anymore. And you know what? Screw her. How did you decide on getting a Labradoodle? Keith had a Labradoodle growing up. That was his childhood dog. And his name was Cosmo. And Cosmo was the goodest boy there ever was. And we knew that we needed to get a hypoallergenic dog. So it had to kind of be probably a poodle of some sort. And I grew up with a cockapoo, which is a cocker spaniel poodle. So that was in the cards. And then we kind of were looking at Bernadoodles or Sheepadoodles because my parents used to have an old English sheepdog. And then eventually we decided that Labradoodles were just really good dogs in general. Like Labradors are really smart. Poodles are really smart. They're just very well mannered. They're very playful and fun. And we just knew we would have a good experience. I just graduated from college and I'm moving in with my college boyfriend. Can you talk about moving in with Keith or any advice that you have? Yeah, I mean, Keith and I have had a pretty positive experience so far. We don't really fight that much at all. And it's just kind of been really peaceful, I would say. I think things that are really important are making sure that both of you are taking responsibility for the apartment or wherever you will be living together. So it shouldn't just be your responsibility or his responsibility to do like, you know, vacuuming dishes, that kind of stuff. Make sure it's like pretty well divided so you don't let those little things boil over because I feel like that's when you start to kind of nag at each other when you act more like passive aggressive roommates than boyfriend and girlfriend and then also try and do things just for you too like outside of the apartment like don't forget about like date nights or just doing things that are fun and make you still feel like a couple and not just roommates I guess. (laughs) Do you ever regret being an influencer? Well I don't ever think of myself as an influencer especially because I'm just Taylor. Like I don't know I feel like even the idea of influencing just feels so weird to me like why would anybody want to hear what I have to say for me I just kind of think of it as I make videos I like to put them online I hope to inspire you a little bit I hope to bring you a little bit of joy make you laugh put a smile on your face like those are the kinds of things I think about I don't ever think of it as influencing I also feel like I mean compared to so many people I have such such a small little platform and I'm actually so beyond okay with that and I feel like 
of course, yeah, it would be really cool if I was able to connect with more and more people around the world. But at the same time, there are so many of you that I know on a first name basis that I message all the time that I can connect with and that have been with me since what feels like the beginning. So to me, it feels like a very special community because it is so close-knit. Thank you to those of you who sent in your questions. I always love getting a chance to actually chat with you in what feels like a one-on-one basis. And I never want to be like one of those people that's so aloof that they're not listening to their audience. And to me, getting questions is just best thing ever. So thank you for taking the time to do that. I love you all. Thank you for tuning into this weird old story time. I hope that you liked it or at least brought you a little bit of joy. I'm really scared to honestly share this. I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just don't want to, I don't know, be hunted down by Mike and Rosie. But anyways, I love you all so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Taylor Woods with two L's. Or if you have any questions for the podcast, you can email me at hello at twistypod.com. I love you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Don't Get It Twisted. And you better stay tuned for next week when we're gonna get a little bit untwisty baby i love you all goodbye